Hey, good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Daily Mind. It is I, your host. I'm um, coming to you again for another half hour on one of the most underrated podcasts out there. Um, slowly coming up in the world, but, uh, you know, I'll get there. I'm no Joe Rogan once again. Uh, how's everyone's day? And there we go with this fucking notification shit. I always forget this. Give me a one second, folks, and get right into it. Meanwhile, how was everyone's day? Hopefully pretty well. Mine was pretty easy going. Just spent three hours at the um, at my dealership getting something fixed on my car. That was fun, but it got me out of work half the day. So now I'm home doing this, which is what I love to do best. All right. So I'm not even going to get too much into my day. I'm just going to get right into what I'm going to talk about today. And that is forgotten 90s TV shows. Now, of course, you figure, well, didn't you do something on TV shows and of the 90s, the 80s? Well, these are the forgotten TV shows, the shows that we remember oh so little. And what inspired this was that I um, I was recently watching one of my favorite forgotten shows, or at least a few episodes that was available on Crackle, and it's Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Now, Parker Lewis Can't Lose is one of my favorite forgotten 90s TV shows. Now, it's uh, the show is loosely based on Ferris Bueller's Day Off. In fact, they even had a show called Ferris Bueller, and it wasn't that great. However, though, Parker Lewis came out in 1990, and it focused on three guys, which was Jerry, Mikey, and um, Parker. And they'll get into all these antics and stuff like that. The cartoon was kind of bizarre, a bit cartoony, at least in the first couple of seasons. Then the third season, they kind of died it down a little bit. And the show ultimately ended in 1993. And it it's just one of the funniest shows. If you've never seen Parker Lewis, I they only the only streaming service I see it now is on Crackle. And they have a thing called Minisodes, where it only just shows like a few episodes. It doesn't even show the whole entire series, which I believe may have had maybe 70 to 74 episodes. So <clears throat> today's episode, or tonight's episode, is focused on those forgotten TV shows, which, by the way, Parker Lewis is actually on this list. And maybe they might be a part two, depending on how much I could get through, which should somewhat be fairly quick, considering most of these shows I have not heard of. But it says here... <clears throat> The television of the 90s gave us plenty of memorable, award-winning, and groundbreaking series. Shows like Twin Peaks, Law & Order, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer would come to define a decade that saw the rise of cable programming and series that attracted rabid cult fan bases, even as they scored niche view ratings. While those and many other shows are finally remembered and rewatched on streaming services today, there are dozens of others that have been largely forgotten. Shows that try to compete with the likes of The X-Files or Saved by the Bell, but were hampered by poor time slots, network disputes, and often just being a little too ahead of their time. These shows may not make every critic's top 10 for the 90s TV, but that doesn't mean they aren't deserving of praise. For whatever reason, they're rarely part of the conversation today, but these forgotten 90s shows are definitely worth a revisit. So they have a show on here that's uh, starting off on the list as a show called Dark Skies. You can tell this is a forgotten show. I never even heard of the damn show before. But it says here, airing between 1996 and 1997, NBC's Dark Skies was a sci-fi drama that delved into the world of aliens, government conspiracies, and 1960 pop culture icons, starring Eric Close as congressional aide-turned-alien hunter John Longard. Dark Skies jumped on a sci-fi bandwagon that Fox's X-Files had built and wrote it for everything it could. It never quite caught on, and NBC canceled the show in its first season. In spite of series creators Bryce Zabel and Brent Friedman having much more story to tell. Again, when there's a breakout hit, there's always a um, 
somewhat of a copycat show. And I ain't never even heard of that damn show. That's, that show right there is definitely for a forgotten show. Never heard of it till now. And it only had, it got canceled within the first season. So it makes sense as to why I never heard of it. All right, this next one is no, uh, this, I, now I think I may have heard of this show. Never seen it, but I've heard it buzz through my young ears over time. And it's called Erie, Indiana. Erie, Indiana arrived on the set of the teen supernatural craze that took hold in the mid to late 90s. But unlike more popular successes like 1995's Goosebumps or 1997's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it was reg- it was relegated to a one-season run between 91 and 92. The show centered on Marshall Teller, a pre-hocus-pocus armory cats who moved with his family to Erie, Indiana, and quickly des- discovers that things are not as idyllic as they appear. <clears throat> Along with his best friend Simon, Marshall takes stock of all the weirdness he runs into, preserving evidence in a locker that only he holds the key to. Never heard of it, but I could see it kind of like up against Goosebumps. Goosebumps was wildly popular back in the 90s. I knew a girl who collected so many Goosebumps books. I don't know where she is to this day, and I don't even know if she has the books, but man, she had a collection. Oh, by the way, disclaimer, this website, this list is brought to you by Looper. Looper Looper.com is where I'm getting this list from. Should have mentioned that in the beginning, but now you know. Um, All right, so the next show, next forgotten show, is The Pretender. Okay, I never heard of this show. It says it ran for four seasons on NBC from 96 to 2000. At least it ran more than a, a freaking season. was one of the wackiest creations the network pulled out in the 90s, which is saying something considering NBC was also responsible for the Cosby Mysteries in 1994. Now, that show is fucking bizarre. Uh, Jared, a genius with a knack for impersonating any professional role, escapes from a secret research facility called The Center where he's been held since childhood and used in experiments that revolved around his pretender abilities. Hot on his heels are Sidney, the psychiatrist in charge of Jared's experiments, Brutes, a computer expert, and Miss Parker, a center operative with a penchant for high heel boots and cigarettes whose over-the-top villainy is reminiscent of Cruella de Vil. If Cruella de Vil had been a government employee, uh, each episode saw Jared take on a new role in an attempt to bring justice to those the system had failed was simultaneously looking for an answer about his past. You know, that probably would have made for a very interesting movie plot. Um, but then it also falls in line with that Dana Carvey movie, Master of the Skies, which was regarded as one of the worst movies in the 2000s. So probably is a good idea that this did not become a uh, a movie. Okay, so this next show, all kids my age should have heard of this show. Um, it came on... on Nickelodeon. Um, it's called Are You Afraid of the Dark? Now, I've never seen this show verbatim. I remember it being advertised pretty heavy on Nickelodeon, and I never really got into the whole Are You Afraid of the Dark? But I guess this show also tried to chase the goosebump formula, like that other show I mentioned that did the same thing, Erie, Indiana. It says, submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society were words that many a young horror fan look forward to hearing Saturday nights on Are You Afraid of the Dark? Following a group of teens who meet in the woods every week to share scary stories, the show was part of Nickelodeon's Snick lineup for four years between 92 and 97. Although the series itself ran for a total of seven seasons between nine, 1990 and 2000, beginning first on the Canadian network YTV. Are You Afraid of the Dark was a well-written jaunt through the greatest of childhood horrors. Episodes like The Tale of the Laughing in the Dark, in which a funhouse clown named Zebo comes after a kid who steals his nose, are to this day remembered as some of the most terrifying small screen stories of the decade. Three years after its initial run ended in 96, Nickelodeon renewed the series for two more seasons. 
bringing in a mostly new core cast of characters instead of horror stories about life or death board games, cannibal neighbors, and killer digital pets. Are you afraid of the dark? Got an overhaul in 2019, and its format changed to a three-episode miniseries that focused more on the Midnight Society itself and on a central villain that haunts its members. I didn't even know they even came back out in 2019. I don't think... <laughs> that's a first for me. I didn't even think it came back out. Now, this show, this next one, um, this used to come on CBS, and I remember I was a young kid. This show would come on, and it was my first exposure to Alaska. That's right. Northern Exposure. Okay, now this, this show, I guess, was filmed in Alaska. It takes place in Alaska, right? So it says here, when Nor Northern Exposure premiered on CBS in the summer of 1990... Scripted dramas have taken a backseat to 30-minute comedies. Um, shows like Cheers and Roseanne ruled the airwaves. While Murder, She Wrote, the top drama at the time, ranked 12th overall, just behind Designing Women. Northern Exposure was like none of these. The hour-long drama center on Joe Fleischman, a young New York uh, physician bound by terms of a student loan agreement, to spend the first four years of his professional life practicing medicine in Sicily, Alaska, with a population of only 215. That is 215. The proverbial fish out of water, Joel struggles to find his place among Sicily's residents. But over the course of several seasons, um, prior to his exit from the series, Joel eventually warms up to his new home and its quirky inhabitants. Mm. Yeah, this was a different type of show. It was not meant to be a comedy. It was very slow paced. Um, not even sure if it was really filmed in Alaska. I never even heard of a Sicily, Alaska, and I was stationed in Alaska. Maybe it exists somewhere. Maybe it's one of those uh, small native villages up there. There's quite a few. Um, but yeah, this show was pretty big for its time. I don't even know what year it ended, honestly. But I know it went for a bit. Uh, this next show. Now, I wouldn't say this is a forgotten show. It's, it's It runs damn near on like a couple of networks every day I come home from work. Or when I'm home on, you know, uh, on a day off or whatever, I always catch this show. Um, Living Single. Okay, now Living Single is has been debated in a sense of like there's been a debate about that show as to whether or not Friends that came on NBC copied Living Single. So they accused NBC of like, blatantly stealing the the idea from Living Single to Friends. But the difference was this: Friends had three female leads and three male leads, whereas Living Single had, I believe, four females and two males. The formula was sort of, sort of there. You know what I mean? Like, it, it was it was similar, but I couldn't see exactly how they were that much alike. But they did have some similarities. It says, um, uh, 1993, Living Single took the concept of a group of friends living and working together in New York and creating a show that wasn't just successful. It would set the stage for what much of television sitcom landscape would look like in the following years. The show centered on four friends, roommates Khadija, um... Let me see, Sinclair, Khadija's cousin, aspiring actress, um, Regina, I mean, Regine, and Maxine. K uh, Khadija's college roommate and attorney for five, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm jumping a little bit ahead. Uh, Maxine was Khadija's college roommate and an attorney. For five seasons, Living Single tackled everything from jealous co-workers to married boyfriends. The cast had incredible chemistry and it showcased stories that haven't been seen on screen before. Series creator Yvette Lee Bowser had experience in TV prior to Living Single. She worked on Hanging with Mr. Cooper and the Cosby Show spinoff, A Different World. But Living Single gave Bowser the opportunity to tell stories she really wanted to. She told The Atlantic in 2018, it began with the realization that if, if this industry was really only going to cater to and embrace white people, 
I wasn't going to be here for long. So that was my impetus for getting into the world of development and creating a show about us. Today, Living Single's influence is still felt on shows like How I Met Your Mother or Insecure. And Bowser, who's pronounced, who produced more recent stories, Blackish, Dear White People, continues to prove she's a force in the industry. Let me go back and see when this was published, because I believe she did pass away, Yvette Lee Bowser, if I'm not mistaken. I might I might be wrong, but I, I could have sworn she passed away not too long, probably after this was, uh, this was published. All right, so this next uh, TV show called Sports Night. Um, I don't even think I've ever heard of this show. No. I'll read a little bit of it. It says, a year before the West Wing and a decade before the newsroom, Aaron Sorkin waded into TV waters with Sports Night, a half-hour dramedy that ran on ABC for two seasons from 98 to 2000. Think of it as something like a rehearsal for the newsroom Sports Night, like, like newsroom focused on the inner workings of a nightly TV series. In this case, it's a show that mirrors ESPN's Sports Center, a breakdown of sports highlights by a pair of co-anchors. Um... That's basically what it's saying. And then Felicity Huffman plays Diana Whitaker, the show's executive producer and counterbalance to its stars. Um, yeah, Sports Night. I may have heard of this. I mean, I was in um junior high school transitioning into high school at that time. It may have buzzed. I, I'm a big TV head. I, like my dad's in the movies. I'm in the TV show. So it might, I might have heard of Sports Night. Again, it's a forgotten show, especially only been on for uh, fucking two years. All right, this next one, Farscape. <clears throat> uh, by the late 90s, stories set in far-off universes where humans intermingle with alien races of all shapes and sizes had become a familiar thing. The Star Trek resurgence had already produced three series. Warner Brothers um, had Babylon 5, and Showtime had launched Stargate SG-1. It was only a matter of time before sci-fi, back then the sci-fi channel, would try to make its mark on science fiction slash fantasy television. In 1999, it did with Farscape, a bizarre gem of a show produced by the Jim Henson Company. Impressive. Um, I, Farscape, never heard of it. Never heard of it, but um, if you did, email me, because I sure in hell haven't heard of it. All right, this next show, The Adventures of Pete and Pete. Again, this was one of those Nickelodeon shows. Um, I've heard of this show and may have even came across a few episodes myself, probably through channel surfing, but it was it was a show that I did not sit and watch religiously, okay? Um, it says here, uh, let me see some, getting some weird news here. Give me one second. Uh, what the hell is this? I swear I get notifications from damn near everything these days. Let me see. Okay. Back to the show. The adventures of Pete and Pete. While the adventures of Pete and Pete technically got its start in 1989 in the form of minute long shorts. It wasn't until 1993 when the series was given a proper full season on Nickelodeon. That it really came into its own. Following brothers Big Pete and Little Pete, Pete and Pete explored the trials and tribulations of the average suburban upbringing in a way that was anything but. The brothers confronted villains like Pitstain and Mike, the urinator uplinger. <laughs> they were joined by friends like Artie, the strongest man in the world, to take on solving childhood mysteries that involve love-struck bus drivers and lonely ice cream vendors. All while Big Pete served as our relatable narrator, giving us insight into the weird world that was Wellsville. Wherever the hell that is. Um, yeah, pretty popular show for its time, um, Pete and Pete. Like I said, I've never really gotten into it, but I remember it being on TV. All right, this next show, um, FX, the series. I don't know what the fuck that is. Um, it says, based on the 1986 thriller FX, 
FX the series centered on Raleigh Tyler, a New York-based FX artist who recruited by NYPD detective Leo McCarthy to help take down the city's criminals. The show only lasted for two seasons between 1996 and 1998, but it managed to pack a ton of story in its 39-episode run, including multiple kidnappings and the death of one of its main characters at the end of season one. Hmm. Yeah. Um, never heard of it, but apparently it had Carrie Ann Moss in it. You know, Trinity from The Matrix. Never heard of the show, though, but uh, yeah, sure. All right, this is the show that inspired this episode. Um, as I mentioned, Parker Lewis Can't Lose, one of the most bizarre teenage shows of the time. And I guess this was one of those TV shows that tried to compete with Saved by the Bell because not the prequel Saved by the Bell, Good Morning, Miss Bliss. I'm talking about the, the actual Saved by the Bell show from 90 to 93 both Parker Lewis and Saved by the Bell ran for about the same period. So I guess this was sort of just kind of com- trying to compete with it. Um, it says, Parker Lewis can't lose. In the 1980s, much of what aired on TV was focused around family programming, i.e. The Growing Pains, The Cosby Show, or trended towards adult action and adventure, Magnum P.I. and Miami Vice. The 90s saw a substantial shift with more series catering to younger audiences than ever before. Shows like Saved by the Bell dominated Saturday morning blocks, and by the end of the decade, entire networks would be devoted to young adult programming. Premiering at the onset of the 90s was Fox Parker Lewis Can't Lose, a 30-minute comedy about a high schooler and his best friends Mikey and Jerry and their never-ending war with, princi- with their principal, Miss Musso. She is so fond in that show. For three years, Fox managed to have one of the most original, totally out-there shows as part of its lineup. Parker Lewis Can't Lose was meta in the same way as Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but it also boasted a surreal quality that was completely unlike anything else on the air. The show may have not been as popular as Saved by the Bell at the time, but it continues to have a cult following to this day. And if if the success of later uh, sitcoms like Scrubs is any indication, Parker Lewis was definitely doing something right. You know, now that I think about it, Scrubs do kind of play out like Parker Lewis. If you're old enough like me to remember Parker Lewis Can't Lose, it was like watching a live animated cartoon it was like watching a live cartoon the way the budget they had for all these um particle effects special effects in the show which was more predominant in the first or second season then they toned it down scrubs kind of worked just like parker lewis and it kind of made me think if the cinematography guys or whoever did parker lewis kind of transitioned into scrubs thing is though parker lewis was on fox when it was out and, and Scrubs was on NBC, but you know, Hollywood, everybody seemed to work together. But even the show Scrubs had that very similar uh, surrealism to it. Um, this next show, La Femme Nikita, um, it says Luke Besson's 1990 film La Femme Nikita spawned an entire franchise of movies and TV series, including two films remakes, um, the Hong Kong action film Black Cat and the American action thriller Point of No Return. The series spinoff of La Femme Nikita was a US-Canada collaboration that starred newcomer Peter Wilson as the titular character, a woman falsely imprisoned for the murder of a police officer who gets recruited into Section 1, a top-secret counterterrorism organization that forces her to bend to its will. La Femme Nikita built a strong and fierce fan base, which kept the show in the air for a total of five seasons before between 1997 and 2001. Even two decades later, much of the series holds up. Its writing and editing don't feel all the, altogether tied to the 1990s, and the show performance are realistic, grounded, and often moving. Wilson is exceptional, and La Femme Nikita was one of the few series at the time that portrayed a female character as a lead action star in a way that was neither cheesy nor overly sexy. 
Um, yeah, I, I remember the show not very fondly, but I remember it being on the air, the advertisements and all that stuff and promotions. Um, yeah, I'd seen it quite a bit in a sense. So I guess it was pretty popular for its time. Um, I've never seen the movie, though. Never seen the movie. Okay, now this show I definitely never heard of before and probably you haven't either. Um, Sequest DSV. It says, at the time when the bulk of TV science fiction took place beyond the stars, Sequest DSV headed into the depths of the ocean instead. In the year 2018, humankind has destroyed the planet, save for the, uh, save for the ocean floor. New colonies have formed there, and the crew of the Sequest, a deep submerged vehicle operated by the United Earth Oceans Organization, has been tasked with keeping the peace. Led by Captain Nathan Bridger, um, let me see, at least for its first two seasons, uh, the crew would often find themselves in situations like meditating ownership of artifacts from the Library of Alexandria with the help of psychics or dealing with the deadly space virus that somehow managed to survive thousands of feet underwater. Well, you know, the show didn't age very well because it's 2018 and we are still destroying, you know, 2018. We were still destroying the planet and we're still here and we just went through a pandemic. So maybe that's the kind of view. They were kind of close, but we're still destroying the planet every single day. Thanks, Earth. Thanks, humans. All right. So uh, let's move on from that. I'm not reading no more of that shit. Um, so, oh, is there, is there more to this? It's got to be more. Um, no, I guess that's it. That's it on that list. That's, uh, let's, let's find another one. Um... Yeah, let's find another one. I got, I got a few more minutes to kill. Or I could just end the episode. But, you know, I, I swear, um, I I was a kid in the 90s mostly. I'm an 80s baby, 90s raised. And, man, there's so many TV shows I've forgotten. Um, like Herman's Head was one of those shows that has been forgotten on Fox. Uh, the Tracy Ullman Show. It, it's so many um, TV shows that's been forgotten. So I'm going to go on GameSpot. And see what their list is. And their, their list was just published. Um, um, what's this? This is um, GameSpot. Yeah, July 7th last year. Uh, I'm just going to go through the list real quick. And some of these shows are actually on, like from the last list, on this list too. And this is kind of a tough one. I'm going to go through it as quick as possible though. Um, let me see. How many how many do they have on here? Shit, I should have went off this list. But let me see some. I'll do my best. Um, so the first one they got on here is Sliders. It's a show that uh, premiered from 95 to 2000. Never heard of that show. Uh, but it does have Jerry O'Connell, if you're familiar with him, from like movies like Joe's Apartment and all that shit. He has a twin brother, I believe, too. But I never heard of the show. Johnny Bravo is number two from 97 from two, two, uh, 2004. This is not a forgotten TV show. Everybody still knows Johnny Bravo. It was rumored that they was going to make a live-action Johnny Bravo starring Dwayne Johnson. Please don't. Please don't. Please. Please don't. But no, Johnny Bravo's number two. That show has not been forgotten. Number three, The Pretender also made this list from 96 to 2000. I'm going to pretend like I didn't see this shit for the second time. Number four, Parker Lewis, once again, um, from 90 to 93 is also on this list. But you can see how these shows have made different variety of list of forgotten tv shows not a lot of people forgotten them then because i know I, I love parker lewis i love it uh let's see uh number five dexter's laboratory from 1995 to 2002 this is another one of those shows that's not forgotten and it's also um and pretty much kind of in the same realm as johnny bravo i think it's animated by the same guy same studio same everything 
Um, number six, Evening Shade. I don't know what the fuck this is, but it had Burt Reynolds in it. And it, <laughs> and it premiered from 1990 to 1994. That's all I know. I, I'm not reading into this, but no. Um, this next one. Now, this show, I remember this show was on for a minute. Diagnosis Murder uh, from 1991 to 2000 starring Dick Van Dyke. Mm, yep. I remember this show. Never watched it, though, but I remember how, you know, how, how long that show was on for. Uh, number eight, Nowhere Man from 1995 to 1996. Yeah, that show was definitely not going anywhere, man, because it only lasted about a year or so. This next one, this next animated show, Recess. Nobody's forgotten about Recess. I mean, Recess was the shit back then from 1997 to 2001. I mean, I didn't forget about this show at all. It's amazing that it's even on the list of forgotten shows. And then, of course, number 10. Uh, Northern Exposure from 1990 to 1995. Once again, that show made the list. But again, it's it was a show that people somewhat remember, right? If it's a, if it, you know people are digging up that sense of nostalgia and it's making all these forgotten shows lists, it goes to show that a lot of people probably did watch that show. But of course, the the target core audience is probably like in their fucking 60s right now or 50s. So I mean, it's it's easy to feel like. <laughs> Younger people like you know to not remember the show. People in it, no, born after 1995 or in 2000s. This cartoon here is the most underrated animated <laughs> cartoon. The critic, the critic only lasted for a year, from 94 to 95, but it was the funniest shit. <laughs> it was the funniest shit. Oh man, and, and it's funny because it's also created by the writers and showrunners of The Simpsons. It says here, Al Jean and Mike Rice. So I can see like it had similar Simpsons quality, I guess also in animation, except that Jay Sherman and the characters on the critic were not yellow. But um, oh, it was so funny, this cartoon. And then number 12, The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. from 1993 to 1994. Uh-huh. And then this show, I actually did watch this show, especially in junior high school, News Radio was number 13. Um, it premiered from 1995 to 1999. I don't know, I had a thing for the redhead. I think that's why. I watched the show quite a bit. I think her name was Maura Tierney. She was, I don't know, something about redheads. That'll be an episode for another time. All right, so number 14, Freakazoid. That was a stupid-ass cartoon, but it only lasted a year, though. Now, Freakazoid, if you're around my age group or you're a 90s kid, you will remember Freakazoid. But if you're born after 2000, you're not going to hear about this cartoon at all. Not unless somebody mentions it and you just so decided to uh, Google it. And then number 15, last but not least, once again, Erie, Indiana. Again, now that show only lasts about a year. But I could go on and on because there are so many fucking shows that have been forgotten. And I'm not even going to do a part two to it, maybe down the road or whatever. But uh, I might find lists that are similar to this with the same type of shows. But you kind of get the idea. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to put a Q&A for this episode. Let me know uh, what's your favorite forgotten 90s TV show that just may have not made this list. And, of course, you can email me as well. Um, let me know what is your um, forgotten 90s TV show that you sit there and swear was going to be the best show ever, only to turn out at last a season, barely a season. So, hey, you, there's those avenues of approaches. Um that you could sit there and just say hello, send me a message or in regards to uh, this this episode. But um, 
yeah thanks again um thanks again for taking the time to listen to this podcast um you know me i'm i'm a trippy nostalgic dude so i love to do episodes like this just going back in time and when i do these episodes it really opens up my uh my memories you know what i mean like where i was when i seen these shows when they premiered you know how old was i it just i don't know man maybe i just live in the past i'm just i'm stuck in the past forgive me all right so hey enjoy the rest of your evening and um stay tuned for the next episode and please tell your friends tell your friends the show is growing it you know it's it's taking a little bit but it's getting there it's getting there it's not joe rogan yet but joe rogan i'm after you somehow i'll catch up probably when joe rogan jr is born or whatever i probably catch up to the show but um i'm getting this nice little modest podcast i love doing it i love doing it as long as i get a couple of listeners here and there somebody's listening somebody taking a half hour of their day to listen to me i'm forever grateful all right but enough of the tears and shit all right so hey thanks for listening enjoy the rest of your evening stay tuned for the next episode you never know what's on my mind have a great night ciao